Welcome to Faith and Family. I'm Andy Bates. Thanks to our underwriter, Concordia University, Wisconsin, for supporting Faith and Family and all the stories we get to share here on Worldwide KFUO. You can find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin on our website, kfuo.org. Look for the CUW logo in the sponsor section. Today, we have a privilege of talking with uh, an international pastor who uh, serves the Lord and his people in Southeast Asia, the Reverend Charles Ferry. Pastor Ferry, welcome. Hi, thank you. Glad to have you in studio today, spending some time with us talking about uh, the Lord and his work, uh, proclaiming uh, the gospel to uh, people in Indonesia, particularly in this congregation. Tell me about the the congregation, the church that, that you serve in Indonesia. We were invited several years ago by the Indonesian Christian Lutheran Church, church body of about 18,000 members, about 35 pastors that are generally headquartered up in the province of North Sumatra uh, of Indonesia. This church body actually has a very a very Lutheran history in the way that they were even started. Um, they were at one time, their, their founding uh, church president was a member of a very large sort of general Protestant church body up in North Sumatra. And he had a chance to come over to the United States and study at one of our Concordias for a time and had his eyes opened while he was here in the States to uh, what Lutheran theology really is all about uh, and having sort of our Lord Jesus and his cross as the heart and center of, of everything that we believe, teach, and confess. He came back to Indonesia then after a year or so of studying here and wanted to bring those things back with him and impart them to his church body. And unfortunately, his church body did not appreciate uh, some of those teachings and ended up uh, telling him to kind of go and find find his own way. Um, and so he did that. Uh, ended up about 50 years ago now uh, founding what has become the Indonesian Christian Lutheran Church uh, that has grown now to 18,000 members. Uh, and so this church body strives to be Lutheran. They want to be faithful to the scriptures, especially in what they see all over the world as people departing from uh, from those truths and, and going their own direction. So they, uh, they j- recently, within the last uh, six years, elected a man by the name of uh, Aladdin Sitio to be their, their church president, their bishop. Uh, and Pastor Aladdin had had the chance to go to Australia and study uh, from the Lutheran Church of Australia, Dr. Kleining and, and some of the others, and had his eyes equally open to what Lutheran theology is all about. And he came back just so excited to share that with his church body. When he was elected bishop, then one of the first phone calls he made was to the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod uh, in St. Louis and talked to President Harrison and said, can you help us be faithful like you are faithful to the scriptures, to the Lutheran confessions? Uh, We can't do it on our own. We need your help in order to, uh, to have resources and to have teaching so that we can pass this on to our people as well so they can be Lutheran like you are Lutheran. So what an incredible opportunity we have been given with this church body. Uh, and so what the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod did was they found me serving a small congregation in Michigan uh, some years ago. And they said, we would like to give you the opportunity to go to Indonesia and to be the resource person, to do some teaching uh, with this church body and to be our connection with them. Uh, and so my family now, uh, almost three years ago, uh, had the opportunity to go and move to Indonesia. Uh, and we have been living life over there ever since. Let's talk about uh, life in Indonesia uh, and some of the the 
some of the the challenges of making that transition and what you've learned along the way when you were preparing to go serve this church in Indonesia. What were some of the things you did to prepare? Yeah, honestly, some of the first preparations that we did was had to uh, look up Indonesia and find out where it was and what it was all about because we had had no inkling whatsoever. This had never been on our radar at all uh, until the Lord gave us these opportunities uh, in this service. So Indonesia is a collection of 17,000 islands, pretty much exactly opposite uh, side of the world from, uh, from St. Louis, Missouri. So they are about 12 hours ahead of what we know here in, in central time. Um, and the equator runs right through the middle of this collection of islands. So our weather over there is extremely uh, predictable. Uh, it's usually about 90 degrees Fahrenheit and humid every single day. Um, the only seasons are pretty much the rainy season and the non-rainy season. So it's just a matter of whether it's an 80% chance of rain or 100% chance of rain that day. Um, so we don't even bother to check the, the weather forecast anymore. There's just, there's no point in it. Um, Indonesia is actually <laughs> it's the, the same every day. It, it is. It's the same, which, uh, <laughs> people coming from, from having lived in the Midwest. I mean, that's a whole new world for us. So, uh, Indonesia is actually the, the fourth largest country in the world, just behind the U S population wise, about 240, 250 million people. And what's interesting about Indonesia is, uh, not just the numbers of people, but, the fact the um, the Indonesian people, 85% of these 240-some million people all identify as Muslim. Um, so it makes it actually the largest Muslim population in the world uh, in, in any one place. And so most of the people that we interact with every day, um, the people that, uh, that we go to the store with, people that we see at the malls, people we see on the streets, um, chances are very, very good that they are Muslim individuals. And so what an opportunity for us and for our children. Um, my, my wife uh, obviously lives over there with me, and, and we have five young children, all under the age of uh, 11. So for them to grow up in this land where they look so different by the color of their skin and the color of their hair, by the language that we speak and the way that we sound, uh, we are instantly marked as being different, uh, as being a tiny minority in this country. Um, and that's been a great education for me and for my wife and for our children also um, as we interact with people every day uh, in, in all sorts of different situations. What are the some of the lessons that uh, that your children have learned in making this transition from the United States to now Indonesia? I think we are all still in the process of learning a great number of lessons. Um, some of them have been just not to be judging people on the way that they look, because we certainly don't want to be judged by the way that we look. Um, it's really funny sometimes to see people's reactions when they look at us and the way that we appear because of our skin color and our hair, um, and then to to want to interact with us because it's a very open, very family-friendly society. Um, but people are just generally very curious about us. Um, and for us to be able to all of a sudden open our mouths and be able to talk to them in their language uh, and ask them about their family and how old they are and where they come from and what they like and what they dislike, um, people just light up with excitement that they can actually interact with these strange-looking white people um, and this, uh, this pastor that's got hair on his face. Um, they just really seem to enjoy that. And we've had some incredible opportunities to interact with people because things generally in Indonesia are not 
taboo like they are in the States as far as topics of conversation. We can talk about religion. We can talk about politics. We can talk about business and money and these kinds of things. Um, And it's open season. uh, And these are not generally personal questions that you don't talk about. So we've had all sorts of great chances to, uh, to have great conversations with people. I want to talk about language here in just a moment, but you said this pastor with hair on his face. Now, uh, is having a beard not common in the community where you live? It is not common at all. Uh, In fact, because it's it's hot and humid over there is one thing. Um, But generally, just because Indonesian folks are are not as hairy as some of us from, uh, you know, European descent. Uh, And so you don't see thick beards. You don't see uh, a lot of hair on arms and and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, I've had kids actually stop me in line at the convenience store and and just kind of be picking at the hair on my arms. And what what is this? This is so weird. Uh, So just uh, great opportunities to be able to smile and and, uh, interact with them that way. This hairy beast from the United States. That's right. That's right. (laughs) All right. Now, you mentioned language, learning the language and uh, learning to to be able to speak to, uh, to your neighbors in their own language. Uh, Tell me about the language and the the challenges of of learning this language for you and the whole family. Right. Indonesia is uh, is full of all sorts of different ethnicities, uh, all sorts of different people groups that have lived uh, traditionally throughout these these, uh, islands. But Indonesia itself is unified by a language that they just call Indonesian. Um, and they've basically taken the Malay language and kind of tweaked it and made it their own. So we, my wife and I have spent time formally learning the Indonesian language that they call Bahasa Indonesia uh, and have been practicing that. We spent a, a month when we first got uh, our feet on the ground. Um, five days a week, four hours a day, just exhausting work, but it's uh, it's paid off wonderfully um, because we knew enough of the language after that to be able to interact with people uh, in the taxi, on the street, ask about their families, introduce ourselves. And then the rest of it, we just sort of learned as we went. Uh, we found a couple of tutors here and there, but most of it's just been shopkeepers at the market. Uh, it's been people that have been passing us or live near us that we've just been able to use our bahasa and be able to to speak with them. My wife especially has gotten really good at it because she uses it every day to go and do the shopping for the food and uh, to interact with uh, with services that we need at the at the house. So uh, and my my kids have been picking it up like sponges especially the the 2-year-old and the 4-year-old. It's amazing what they learn without even any formal teaching. They've just uh, they've picked up a lot of these words and phrases and they just flip back and forth between the languages without even thinking about it. I'm so jealous. <laughs> kids can do that. Oh, uh, yeah, it's just amazing to see. No, uh, you mentioned that uh, Indonesia has this unifying language is English at all common in, in Indonesia? Is it, is it a second language at all? What I see is uh, the, the commonality with English is the common desire of most Indonesians to know English um, because they see how universally used it is, especially in business and commerce. Um, but even though it's taught in the schools, um, it's taught a lot like what we see Spanish and German and some of the other languages being taught in our schools in the States. Uh, you get maybe a couple of hours every week. Um, it's just not, it's not dedicatedly taught, um, if I can use that. Um, 
So there are people in Indonesia who speak it, but it's not very common. And so we have really had to rely on our Bahasa and had to struggle through uh, learning these words and phrases and, and pronunciations. Uh, thankfully, it's not a not a difficult language as we think of Mandarin or some of the other uh, the other uh, Asian languages. Um, it uses our same Roman alphabet. Uh, it's just a matter of uh, rolling your R's and uh, and learning a lot of these uh, these words that you have to use. So, language is something that uh, is, is going to be a continual process for you in terms of learning. Yeah, now, uh, as a pastor teaching or preaching, what I assume you're you're teaching in Basa then? I wish I could say that I was. Um, to be able to speak it conversationally is one thing. <laughs> Unfortunately, be able to speak it theologically uh, is a whole different tier uh, because Indonesian is not what we would think of as a very precise language. And so you have to do so, you have to go through jumping some hurdles uh, linguistically in order to talk about things like justification and sanctification and the inspiration of scripture and these kinds of things. So unfortunately, it will be several years yet before I would actually be able to speak to preach a sermon or to to teach theologically in Bahasa. Um, we have been able to identify a very faithful Lutheran pastor over in Indonesia who's become a very good friend, um, who is uh, thankfully fluent in both languages and has been able to serve as a, a very faithful translator and interpreter. Um, and we've actually been able to empower him then to be translating some good Lutheran materials and resources um, from CPH just uh, that have been put out by, uh, by LCMS um, into Bahasa Indonesia, um, and these people grab onto those things for dear life, and they just—they're uh, taking them as quickly as we can produce them. Outstanding. Getting to know the the culture in the community. You already mentioned the weather is very different than uh, than what you grew up with here, what you've you've known here in the United States. And uh, it sounds to me like a, you're a Midwest guy. They've grown up here in the Midwest. Not yep. a lot of islands here in the uh, the Upper Midwest. Yep. Um, what's island like? Uh, island life like for you? Going from uh, here in the the Midwest at what Wisconsin and Michigan? Yeah, I'm a I'm a cheesehead by 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 birth and uh, and proud of my heritage that way. But it has been a whole different world to live over in uh, in a place like Indonesia. Uh, for one, just because Indonesia as a whole is a developing country, and so they don't have the standards of living um, that we would have here in the States. Um, different housing uh, understandings, different uh, different standards for utilities and, and, uh, and all sorts of these things. Um, and so we really have had to, it's been humbling in a lot of ways to see the ways that people live. Um, and what they are content with over there, not knowing any others. Um, a whole family living in a one-room house, um, and they do everything in that room. They eat together, and, and there's very little furniture. They just have mats on the floor, and this is where they sleep. This is where they have their family time. This is where they do everything, um, and they are perfectly content with that for the most part. Um, so it's been good for my kids to see that stuff, and, and for my, my wife and me too, to realize how blessed we are in these United States uh, with the standards of living that we have, with the wealth that we experience, um, even as church workers, we are head and shoulders uh, above what people, what everyday Indonesians have. Um, and what they are content with is a great lesson for us. So some of it's just been the the general life in Indonesia, and some of it's been, uh, you know, seeing some of these places to be on the shores of Lake Toba, 
uh, up in North Sumatra, the largest volcanic uh, lake in the world. Uh, and to see these uh, these shores and these beaches that are there and it's just some absolutely beautiful places. Um, so it's it's a good mix. And yet in places like Jakarta and Maidan, you've got just industrialized cities with cars and motorcycles and uh, and public transportation everywhere, uh, very much city living. So there's a there's a lot of mix in Indonesia, too. And it's been fun to see both sides of that uh, that that's that fence. What about uh, transportation? If you're living on an island life. Yep. Uh, and getting from one place to to another, how do you get around? Yeah, for one thing, uh, we are not driving over there. Uh, we do not own a car. There is a different understanding about operating a motor vehicle in Indonesia, and not just um, operating it on the other side of the road from what we're used to, but there's a certain assertiveness with which people drive over there um, that really is not... It would take a long time for a Western driver to get used to, uh, to to driving under those conditions. There's not a lot of traffic enforcement. Uh, there's not a lot of uh, traffic signs and red lights. So just it's, you know, people who grow up there with these things, it's no big deal for them. They don't even think about it. But for some of us to make that transition would be really tough. So we don't own a car. Um, we actually own a motorcycle. For the first time in my life, I own a motorcycle. And unfortunately, I'm not allowed to drive it. Um, because of these uh, these operating conditions, so anytime we need to go somewhere, uh, we have uh, we have a young man uh, who lives uh, in the in the area who will drive us around and and will take us where we need to go. And we have been blessed to be able to pile a good portion of our family all onto this motorcycle together. Uh, it's what we call going Indonesian style. Um, and so uh, my wife will will be on the back of the motorcycle, and we'll have you know maybe two kids sandwiched in between us. Uh, and this is the way a lot of Indonesian folks get around every single day from one place to another. There is also some public transportation. And then there's things called betchaks up in the city of Maidan, which is where we live. And it's a motorcycle with a covered sidecar on the side. Um, and for the equivalent of about two U.S. dollars, I can get anywhere in the city of Maidan in this betchak. And we have been known to cram our entire family onto this thing. Uh, with How my wife and I sitting on this. And this is going eh, maybe 25 miles an hour. <laughs> so, yeah, you, you don't get anywhere very quickly, uh, but you sure you sure get there, and uh, the kids have wonderful memories of uh, this, too. I was going to say, it has to be an adventure. Oh, they love it every time. They, they usually fight over who gets to ride on the front and back of the driver on the actual motorcycle part of it. And the rest of us then, uh, the, the losers of that argument, have to pile into the sidecar. <laughs> Something I never thought I would be experiencing. <laughs> How about your wife? Uh, her, her thoughts on that? How she, she loves it. She is uh, she, her only uh, only aggravation is the fact that she can't drive the motorcycle herself. She really would like to be doing that, <laughs> but uh, she's gotten really good at just hopping on the back of that bike. Uh, with that driver and just not even thinking about it, going to the market, you know, grabbing all the groceries that she comes back with, just kind of balanced on the motorcycle there with her. She is an incredible trooper uh, and a great blessing in this journey, this great adventure that we're on. Uh, and she's been uh, just a, an incredibly game partner through all this. Now, is there potential in the future to be able to drive the motorcycle, either you or she? 
Well, we try not to we try not to broadcast that too much. I think she's always hoping that maybe it'll turn that way, but I think we've seen enough of the driving in Indonesia. We will leave that to the professionals. Uh, it's probably better that we don't do that. So <laughs> when we came back to the states on this trip, uh, this is the first time that my family and I have been back as a family in in the two and a half years that we've lived there. So my younger kids, when I got into the car here in the states and got behind the wheel and started up the engine, they said, "Dad, where's the driver? You don't know how." to drive. You can't do this. Uh, and it was fun to see their faces as I actually put the car in gear and actually actually drove them uh, myself for the for the first time. Uh, what about uh, what side of the road? Uh, over in Indonesia, it? it's on the left-hand side of the road. So yeah, when I when I got behind that wheel and turned into gear, I was silently reminding myself, drive on the right, drive on the right, drive on the right. <laughs> so. so transportation is uh, certainly... Uh, a different experience than what you've grown up with, no I'm sure. No doubt about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Things to get used to. And this is, uh, it sounds like more of a city life than perhaps um, what one might, it, we have cities certainly here in mm-hmm. the Midwest in the United States, but uh, is that a different uh, environment for you than than what you grew up in? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a city boy by birth. Um, so that's, that's my comfort zone. Uh, my getting out of my comfort zone has been going to the more rural areas, especially in North Sumatra, uh, the areas around Lake Toba, where a lot of this GKLI, this Indonesian Christian Lutheran church is located with their congregations, um, can be very rural, um, very different from what I grew up with. Um, the way that people live is even more simple out there. Um, there are no showers or bathtubs out there. You fill up a bucket with water uh, and you pour it over your head. And that's how you you take a bath out there a lot of times. So um, that's been an interesting opportunity uh, to see the way that people live. And yet they still invite you into their homes. You pick up a piece of floor and you sit down and um, they bring out whatever they have uh, because they're very hospitable, very thankful to have you out there uh, and to be able to, to to share that time with them. So, yeah, we live as a family in the in the city of Maidan, which is about five million people. Um, but very often, you know, we drive an hour and we are into these very rural areas, uh, which has been a, a good mix for my uh, kids to see, too. And now when you say drive an hour on motorcycle... No, thankfully we'll uh, we'll drive in a in a either a rented car or we'll get a taxi or or something like that. Yeah, because you know you really don't want to go through some of those roads on the back of a motorcycle. <laughs> you might uh, not end it. Yeah, road maintenance is not a high priority for that for that province. <laughs> might not make it there. Right, right, or make it back. <laughs> or make it back. Right, right. <laughs> now you, you talked about hospitality. Uh, what is uh, what defines hospitality in Indonesia? They are an extremely welcoming people. Um, they are extremely open-minded. Uh, even though we look different, we sound different, we obviously are different. Um, they are curious. They are interested. Uh, we have also found that that they are not only hospitable, um, that they will invite you into their circles, that they will tell you things about their lives and their families, but they are also a very family-friendly people. Um Having five young children, we get a lot of strange looks no matter where we go, whether it's here in the States or somewhere else or whether it's in Indonesia. 
Um, but it's amazing how many times we will see people as we're walking down the street and they'll actually, you can see them counting silently the number of kids that we have. And then they'll ask us, are these all yours? And we say, yeah, absolutely. And they give us this big double thumbs up and a huge smile. Oh, yes, good job. We're so happy to see white people that actually appreciate uh, having big families. Because the, uh, the, the government has uh, in Indonesia has started a, a program that they call Two Kids Enough um, and trying to encourage uh, families to, to limit the, the number of kids that they're having. Um, and so when they see us with five kids, they say, oh, nice job. We're so proud of you. Um, and of course, they want to grab onto the kids and they want to touch their hair and pulch their cheeks and, and those kinds of things. So they really have been welcoming to our family. Uh, and there's something about us walking around with all five of those kids that just means that we cannot possibly be threatening. Um, so much more uh, willingness to engage us in conversation. Speaking of, of culture and cultural differences, how do typical Indonesian families spend their time? You know, here in the United States, it's um, it, it may be TV, movies, uh, sporting events, you know, baseball games, football games, after school type activities, those types of things. How do Indonesian families spend much of their time? We see a lot of Indonesian families that sort of divide and conquer. Um, you see the men gathering together uh, over coffee and, and those kinds of things and talking about the government and how things are going and talking about religion and those kinds of things, very animated conversations up in Batak land in North Sumatra. Um, and then you see a lot of the women that are talking amongst themselves about some of these same things, about raising their children, about uh, you know troubles with, with kids and whatever. And then you see a lot of the uh, kids playing together. Um, so what we have found is that uh, we are, are oddities that we actually have meals together as a family. Um, and we've had some, some Indonesian kids that have been over at our house around dinner time and just are fascinated by the concept that our family sits together and interacts with one another, talking about our days and our frustrations and our joys, uh, all as a family together as we, as we eat this meal. Um, they also are, they're not big game players or anything. So as, as my family sits around and plays crazy eights or we'll play, you know, go fish or uno or something. Um, we've had the kids from our neighborhood that have just loved to join in on these games. Now we've had to work a little bit to teach them these games, especially because these kids don't speak English. So how do you teach crazy eights or uno or something when these kids don't speak any English? That's been a, a fascinating exercise for us. Um, but a lot of times they'll uh, they'll sit around, you know, TV is big over in Indonesia. Uh, there's usually always a, a TV on. Um, so for them to, to kind of sit around and watch the news and those kinds of things. Um, but it's just a lot of visiting and talking and, and those things. Um, and that's how a lot of Indonesians will, will spend their time just talking over a cup of coffee or a cup of tea. What's what's TV in Indonesia. Yeah, it's amazing. They're, uh, you know, news programs are very, very big. Um, they are, as as are many uh, groups outside the U.S., very interested in what's going on in the world, very much more politically inclined, absolutely, uh, actually, than, uh, than what we think of uh, as ourselves. Um, but also, you've got game shows. Watching a game show in a language that you're just starting to understand <laughs> is a fascinating exercise to try to figure out what these folks are doing. Um, and then uh, there's soap operas too. 
Um, and we see soap operas about Indonesian families and about the the trials and tribulations and and just these uh, very melodramatic episodes and uh, and trying to watch them and figure out what's going on is a fun way to practice our language too. So, and they're also fascinated with uh, with Western music and uh, and Western movies. So a lot of times, obviously, though, uh, living in Indonesia and and some of the other places in Southeast Asia, a lot of these movies are edited for language and content because they have different standards of decency. Um, and there's certain things that they just will not show over there um, that are are so very very prevalent in uh, in some of, in some Western movies. So uh, it, it's always fascinating to see even just a Western movie that has has English as the language of the movie and then subtitled in Indonesian. And because Indonesian is not a very precise language, you see the the star of the movie saying just this short line of dialogue, and you'll have two full lines of closed captions underneath it trying to say what he just said in Indonesian. Uh, so it's a it's an interesting way of of sort of learning that language too. What is uh, in the time that you've been there about three years? Mm-hmm. You shared what is um, a typical Indonesian understanding of Americans and American culture. How do they perceive uh, Americans? I think generally they, I mean, it, usually when people hear that we are Americans, the first word that comes out of their mouth is Obama, because they recognize that President Obama has some roots in Indonesia um, and they take great pride in that. Um, I think their impressions of Americans, for one, are that we know no other languages. Um, because it's it's sort of world-renowned that Americans only learn English, and that's really the only language that we take seriously. So they certainly try out whatever English words they know on us, um, which makes it then fun when we can bust out in, in Indonesian and actually interact with them. They are just very, very sh- pleasantly shocked to, to hear that we can speak any of their language. Um, I, I think there's the understanding that Americans are very prompt, which has caused some friction, um, because, you know, Asian time is a little bit different. It's a little more relaxed. Uh, they're not so deadline oriented as we are. So if we were going to start a church service, you know, at nine o'clock, if we get started by 945, actually, with the invocation or the opening hymn, that's p- doing pretty well, um, which just as an American that drives me crazy and has been my constant struggle with uh, with with punctuality and and the different definition of what that means um so they they sometimes identify americans with uh, with being very time oriented very loud many times americans are are known and and unfortunately they have the impression of americans as uh, being a little larger around the waist um, so me with with my relatively small frame uh, they usually ask me twice are you sure you're american because you look too little uh, so that's uh, it's been interesting to some of those stereotypes that have made it all the way around the world. We're talking with Pastor Charles Ferry. He serves the Lord in Southeast Asia. He's uh, serving the Indonesian Christian Lutheran Church. We need to take a quick break. When we come back from that break, we'll continue learning about his work there. You're listening to Faith and Family on Worldwide KFUO.
Concordia University, Wisconsin and Mequon overlooks a half mile of beautiful Lake Michigan shoreline. CUW campus is located 15 miles north of Milwaukee with over 70 undergraduate majors, 28 graduate degree programs and doctorate programs in pharmacy, physical therapy, occupational therapy and nursing practice. CUW offers online learning and accelerated learning at one of nine Wisconsin centers and one in St. Louis. Traditional or accelerated education, CUW has the program for you. CUW.edu. This is Life Issues with Brad Mattis, president of Life Issues Institute. Planned Parenthood is celebrating turning 100 years old and they're excellent marketers of abortion. Over 90% of pregnant women who walk into their mills have an abortion, and they target certain segments of women for abortion. Nearly 80% of their mills are within walking distance of neighborhoods of women of color. Three-fourths are near colleges or universities. Every Planned Parenthood affiliate is required to do abortions because it's where the money is, and they're building mega abortion mills to kill even more babies. Visit lifeissues.org and click on the microphone icon to access our Planned Parenthood resources and research proving they target minorities. Then share with others. When you think Planned Parenthood, think abortion. For more information, visit our website at lifeissues.org and stay informed, more informed than you've ever been. Hi, I'm Mark Hawkinson with an invitation for you to join me over the weekday noon hour for Moments of Assurance, your lunchtime spiritual recipe. You'll enjoy encouraging scriptures, a bit of Bible history and trivia, news items, humor, the kids' corner, and more, all mixed in with faith-strengthening sacred music, a blend just right for your midday hour. So join me, won't you? That's Moments of Assurance over the weekday noontime hour here on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. Recently graduated from high school or college and looking for a chance to serve a community in need while sharing the good news of Jesus Christ? Lutheran Young Adult Corps may be for you. Lutheran Young Adult Corps provides opportunities for long-term, full-time service for 10 weeks through the summer or 10 months over the school year in places like St. Louis, Philadelphia, and Boston. Find out more about Lutheran Young Adult Corps by finding us online at lcms.org slash Y-A-C-O-R-P-S or on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Lutheran Y-A Corps. Worldwide KFUO, your most trusted radio station for Christian talk and sacred music. Listen on the air, online, and on demand 24 hours a day at KFUO.org. Listen anywhere you are with your Wi-Fi radios, smartphones, computers, and even on your smart TVs. KFUO embracing today's technologies to bring the good news message of Christ to the world. Listener-supported Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. You can't know where you're going unless you know where you've been. And it's even more critical when it comes to the history of God's redeeming grace in Christ. That's the conviction of Concordia Historical Institute, the Department of Archives and History of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. For almost 90 years, we've been dedicated to collecting, cataloging, and showcasing the historical touchstones of Christ's grace and mercy in the life of the Lutheran Church. Help us in the fight against historical amnesia by becoming a member of CHI today. Benefits of CHI membership include our quarterly journal, newsletter, and discounts when you use CHI's research and reference services. You also receive the joy of knowing you're doing your part in preserving and proclaiming Lutheran history for generations to come. Moving Lutheran history forward together. Check us out at concordiahistoricalinstitute.org. Concordia Historical Institute 
www.thepetsoftoday.org. Welcome back to Faith and Family. I'm Eddie Bates, having a great time talking with Pastor Charles Ferry, who serves the Indonesian Christian Lutheran Church as a pastor and uh, with his whole family living in Indonesia, is taking some time to uh, to come back and visit us here in the United States. Pastor Ferry, before we went to break, talking about some of the, the cultural differences of life in Indonesia um, and having your family there and, and raising your kids, uh, what were the options for education for your children when uh, you made this transition to life in Indonesia? Yeah, with five different kids, that uh, that is certainly a concern that we had. Uh, my wife is a is a Concordia Seward trained LCMS teacher, uh, and so we knew that we would be well equipped to try to do some of those things, uh, which of course are very, very important for us. Um, when we got over there, the first thing we were concerned with was just getting our feet on the ground, uh, just getting adjusted as much as we could to to life over there. And then we relocated to the city of Jakarta, which is the capital city of Indonesia, and a metro area of about 24 million people. So just a huge area, lots of folks over there. Um, and so there were international schools over there and there are local schools. Um, we pretty much right away ruled out the local schools uh, because everything is taught in Bahasa, Indonesia, and it would be a long time before my kids would have the language skills necessary to actually participate in that schooling. Uh, plus the fact that uh, as uh, as the nation of Indonesia itself and, and 85% of its population is Muslim, there's a lot of Islam that is uh, incorporated into those daily school days. Um, and so we, we figured that just probably wasn't the right place for our kids. So that really left us with just two other options, one of which was international schools. Um, which our LCMS very, very kindly and generously said, if you think that's the best option for your children, we will we will do whatever we can to get them into those international schools and to make that possible for you, um, for which we were extremely grateful and humbled. Um, but after looking at the the cost of those programs, Cheryl and I just really could not, with a, with a good conscience, uh, be able to put our kids into that. So... What then did you choose? So my wife said, well, I know something about teaching. Uh, and so what we have <laughs> embraced is uh, the idea of homeschooling for our children. Um, in Indonesia, homeschooling is not unheard of, but it is uh, to say it's not real prevalent would be generous. Um, and so people understand that we are that our kids are going to school at home. Um, they don't really understand what that means. Um, and I think we've been asking some of those same questions. What does this mean for us to homeschool our kids in Indonesia? Uh, our son just turned 11 years old and our first daughter just turned seven years old. So these are the two that are in formal homeschooling programs. Uh, and over these last couple of years, my wife has worked diligently and very impressively to come up with a homeschooling curriculum that works uh, for them. Plus, it gives us a lot of flexibility if we happen to have to travel uh, like we've had to for visa issues or, or other document issues, those kinds of things, uh, to kind of take our schooling on the road with us and make adjustments to the schedule as we need to. And the kids actually have done really well with it. Um, it can be individually tailored to them. And so I think we've, through this process, become uh, big proponents of, of the homeschooling opportunities. Man, it's a lot of work. Uh, and most of that falls all on, squarely on my wife's shoulders, and she bears it beautifully. 
Uh, but it's been good for all of us to to kind of grow as a family and to take that uh, into our our own hands. So we've uh, we've enjoyed that those homeschooling opportunities generally. You mentioned earlier others seeing your family, you know, walking down the street or wherever they encounter you, seeing you as a, a obviously a family that you're different. You're you're obviously American or from somewhere else. Um, when they learn that you're a Lutheran pastor, what does that mean to the people in Indonesia? Do they, what do they know about uh, about Lutherans? What do they know about pastors and uh, are you welcome in, in most places? Does that affect um, where you're welcome and where you can go or what you should do? Yeah, it always stuns me uh, to see. I And I, I'm i not ashamed. I, I guess I'm not afraid to wear the, the clerical collar around even the streets of Indonesia. And I will do that. Um, and people know what that means. They may not know specifically what denomination uh, you're a part of. But they understand that that clerical collar means that you are there as a Christian, as someone who uh, who has been called to speak God's word. Uh, and so they will oftentimes stop me and they will ask because in, in Indonesia, you really, if you're not a Muslim or a Hindu, uh, you are then either a, a Catholic or you're a Protestant. Those are the, really the only categories that they recognize. And so they will assume automatically that I'm probably a Catholic priest, which, of course, we get here on the, on the streets of, of the U.S. too. Um, and so I'll tell them, well, I'm actually a pastor and they... That, that word has, has Roman Catholic connotations to it, too, in, in Indonesia. Um, and I'll tell them sometimes, if I have an opportunity to actually explain it a little bit, I'll say, well, I'm a Lutheran. And they kind of look at me puzzled, and then I'll have a chance to tell them, well, you know, we, we talk about and we keep as the center and focus Jesus on the cross, crucified for all of humanity, uh, for forgiveness. Um, and because they're asking those questions— I have the opportunity to provide as full of an answer as they will stand and listen to, because that's not proselytizing. Um, and nobody has any problem with that. In fact, people are very curious about what other people believe. Um, and we've had those conversations sometimes. So uh, they understand that there are Christian pastors and there are other ones uh, in, in Indonesia also. I always thought it was interesting, too, that one of the first requests that this GKLI, this Indonesian Christian Lutheran Church, made of the LCMS when we first got involved with each other some years ago was they said, can you please provide us some money so that we can buy clerical shirts? Because what we want to do is we want to look like pastors. We want people to know that we are God's servants who have been called to speak and to proclaim his word. So here you are. You've got these guys that uh, that are, are really wanting to be Lutheran, and they're wanting to walk around with these clerical shirts in the biggest Muslim population in the world, which I thought was absolutely fabulous. Um, and just a great encouragement and how important that is, that visual reminder that God's people are still here, that his, his called servants are still here to, to speak his word. Um, and so that's been a great encouragement to me also. Um, so yeah, there, we are, we are welcomed as pastors. Um, they have absolutely no problem with that on, on all of my paperwork. I say very clearly that I'm a Lutheran pastor that has been called here. Um, and it's given us some opportunities to explain what that means sometimes. 
you mentioned wearing clericals. What is traditional dress like in Indonesia, and how has that been different for your family uh, fitting in? We have very much enjoyed uh, getting to know some of the Indonesian dress. Uh, Indonesian dress just generally is very colorful. It's very vibrant. Uh, it reflects their traditional islander kind of ways. Um, we have, when, when people go to church, you just see this huge assortment of colors and patterns out in the uh, congregation. Um, their pastors will all wear black clerical shirts. You know, it's it's very important that, that they maintain that, that symbolism and that opportunity to, to, to teach. Um, but the participants there will have all sorts of colors. Um, the ladies especially will wear not only colors, but very shiny colors a lot of times. And they've got what they call an, an, an ulos that's draped over their shoulder that has all sorts of colors and patterns on it. And then their skirt will oftentimes match that piece of fabric that goes over their shoulder. And then they'll have a, a shiny top that they'll wear uh, along with that. And the men a lot of times will wear dark colored trousers and then a very vibrant shirt, uh, multi colors and patterns and those kinds of things. Um, the, the art form called batik uh, originates in Indonesia. And so they actually draw on the fabric with wax and then they dip it into a dye and then the dye sticks everywhere except where that uh, that wax has been has been drawn and then they peel that wax off. So they end up with some beautiful, beautiful patterns and colors in those things. So as my kids uh, have gotten a little older and they've gotten a chance to get some of these clothes to wear, they, they love wearing their uh, batik to a church on Sundays. Um, and they'll they'll pick these dresses out, and and I actually have a couple of these shirts too, which uh, is fun to to wear around the states, and people just automatically, ooh, where's that from? Hey, let me tell you about it. I I live over in Indonesia. <laughs> So it's it's not something you're just picking up at a department store here in the United States. No, unfortunately, <laughs> no. This one you you gotta if you're gonna get the real stuff, you gotta come over and visit us, which you're more than welcome to do. Very good. Well, thanks for the invitation. Absolutely, our guest room's open. <laughs> What um, let's talk more about you mentioned uh, serving the uh, the Indonesian Christian Lutheran Church. I think you called it GKLI earlier, yeah, which is the right using the Indonesian, Indonesian acronym. Name. It's the GKLI. What is uh, what is this work that you do as a pastor with the the Indonesian Christian Lutheran Church? Yeah, this church uh, is not yet in full fellowship with us, um, so we don't uh, share altars and pulpits. Uh, so we don't have any communion fellowship over there yet. We're still working on that, and I, we're very very close. And I'm I'm confident that within the next uh, next few years we will we will have that accomplished according to the Lord's good and gracious will. Um, but a lot of the work that I've been called to do over there is to either teach or to facilitate teaching for them. So sometimes I've been able to get up and teach them on certain topics that they are asking for. They're asking for what church fellowship means. They're asking uh, how the office of the Holy Ministry relates to the priesthood of all believers. They're asking about law and gospel. They're asking about the uh, two kingdoms. It, these things that our pastors have learned as basic things in seminary, a lot of these pastors have never had the opportunity to really study. Uh, for one, they don't have the resources in their own language, so their uh, their language skills are not to a point where they can read these uh, these texts. And also, um, a lot of these pastors have, have grown up and, and matriculated in ecumenical settings, and so they've had people from different denominations teaching them these different things. So 
how can you hope to become a, a faithful master of Lutheran doctrine and teaching if you haven't been taught by Lutherans? And so they're asking for these things. Teach us how to preach like a Lutheran, they said. What does worship, worship mean for a Lutheran? Why do we worship as a Lutheran? What is this divine service structure that you use? And why do you use it? You know, these are incredible questions that they're asking. Um, and so sometimes we've been able to bring teachers over to Indonesia to hold workshops. Um, A couple of guys have come over and taught wonderfully for days on end in different locations. And uh, these people are sitting in their seats, taking copious notes and asking very intelligent questions. And then the first question always when we end is, when are you coming back to do it again? When can we get more? And they are so hungry for this Lutheran theology. The other thing that we get to do then is to provide them resources. They don't have a lot of uh, Lutheran Uh, texts in their own language that they can read. So we've been working on translating and publishing some of these works. In fact, uh, just later this, probably this next month, we are going to complete uh, a reprinting of the Book of Concord in the Indonesian language. Uh, And through the generosity of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, we are able to provide all of their pastors, all of their elders, all of their their, uh, church leaders with what for most of them is their first copy of the Book of Concord as uh, as Lutheran individuals. Uh, and then we're going to help them go through it and we're going to help them understand the treasures that are in this book as it interprets the, the uh, scriptures. You mentioned the divine service. What presently does worship look like in the congregations of the, uh, the Indonesian Christian Lutheran Church? Worship is a little varied in a lot of their context. They have uh, an they have a, a lectionary that they follow. Um, it's and they're, they're usually basing it on our current lectionary series uh, because they appreciate where we come from and and the treasure that this gives them. Um, it includes a lot of hymns that come from other denominations and other backgrounds because a lot of the classic Lutheran uh, hymns and songs have not been translated yet. So uh, and and they recognize this. They they one of the things that they want us to work on is giving them an actual Lutheran hymnal and working on this with them, so that what they put in the mouths of their people uh, can be good, faithful, scripture-based texts uh, that 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 they can learn and and can practice. Um, so Indonesian worship is usually very loud. Uh, they love their their microphones and they're not afraid to use them. Um, but it's it's very, uh, I don't want to say spirited, because our worship is spirited, because our Lord comes and meets us in his word and his sacraments. Um, but it's, uh, it's people love to be there. They love to be in community. They love to sing. The Batak people of North Sumatra are wonderful singers that will bust out in four-part harmony all of a sudden. And it is it is beautiful to hear. That, that's quite Lutheran. It is <laughs> it's indeed, common among and, Lutherans, and I, I keep say. telling them that. Absolutely, <laughs> they are born Lutherans in a lot of ways. The, the uh, singing church, yeah, God be praised. Yes, it's it's very common among Lutherans yeah. to uh, all of a sudden break into four part harmony. Right? Yeah, <laughs> everywhere we go, it's common of of, of of singing hymns. Certainly. Yeah. What would you like for us to know about uh, the Lord and His people? In Indonesia, what would you like for us to know about this church and uh, how we might pray for the the church in Indonesia? It is a great comfort for me to know that regardless of time and distance, we are united around the same Lord and the same uh, cross, the same word that's being proclaimed, the same sacraments that are being administered. Um, 
we are hearing the same lectionary texts. We are singing a lot of the same hymns. Um, that we are united, even though we are separated by so much earthly distance. Um, I would love people to know and to realize that you have faithful Lutheran brothers and sisters on the other side of the world um, who see the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod and who appreciate uh, where you stand and what you stand for and the foundation on which you stand. Um, and they are wanting to emulate that and to have those gifts also. Uh, and also a church that in its own way uh, undergoes all sorts of persecution. Um, and so I think they have some things to be teaching us as well. Um, we see what's what's happening in America and, and we pray, Lord, have mercy. Um, but I think we have things to learn from one another as we move forward together. But to know that you have a community and you have brothers and sisters that are praying for you here in the United States um, on the other side of the world also. And they are counting on us uh, to continue to be faithful to what the Lord has given us so that they can learn what that means also. Well, certainly we will uh, include you in our prayers. Thank you. That now, is one, greatly appreciated. One of my favorite things, and this is the most important thing when talking with uh, friends who serve in another culture, that is the food. It is. And and food is very important in this society, too. And uh, it's it's been a, a learning curve for me, having grown up in the Midwest uh, with parents that did not appreciate exotic foods at all. Um, so it, we eat rice every single day. Uh, rice and chicken, for the most part, uh, defines generally what we eat every day for pretty much every meal. Um, but the Indonesians love their food spicy, and they have these little chabe peppers, little red ones and little green ones, um, and they will kick you right in the mouth. Um, and so we are learning to to endure that. Um, a lot of times they will they will try to have mercy on me when we're together for things and try to order it without that. Um, but I'll get it a lot of times, and sometimes it'll uh, it'll kick me pretty hard, and they'll just laugh heartily. Uh, and and we have a, a a pretty good time with that. My my two of my younger girls now are to the point where if they don't have rice with a meal, they're looking like something's missing. Da- Daddy, where's the where's the rice? What what are we gonna do? So uh, rice and chicken um, and uh, fish. Uh, they have lots, especially when we're out at Lake Toba. Uh, fish that's just been caught that day, uh, and we'll ju- they'll just put it on your plate whole, and you got to work your way through that 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 fish. Uh, and it's sitting there looking at you. So that takes a little bit to get used to. Uh, but the one thing that's, that's hard to find in Indonesia is, uh, is pork, of course. Um, so over here, we're, we're having pork chops as much as we possibly can. <laughs> Probably not a lot of pork there. That's huh? right. Yeah. Not a lot of pork over in Indonesia. <laughs> well, pastor, thank you so much for sharing your story today. And, uh, Thank you for giving us the opportunity to share this with our listeners here on Worldwide KFU. It's been a privilege. Thank you for your time. Pastor Charles Ferry, serving the Lord in the Indonesian Christian Lutheran Church. Thanks for being my guest. Thank you. Coming up in just a little bit, more great programs here on Worldwide KFUO, including Thy Strong Word. You're listening to The Messenger of Good News. Listen to Faith and Family Monday through Friday at this time. Faith and Family is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is needed for Faith and Family to continue. Our address is 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can contact us on the web and download Faith and Family at KFUO.org. Worldwide KFUO, on the air, online, and on demand.